In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, and this series is in cooperation with Ascinda Virtual, which brings you thought leadership sessions and business sessions from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda under www.cinda.org. Now, we don't only bring you business sessions and leadership sessions from all over the world. We also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to this show, let me tell you what this show is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations, to leadership issues such as gender balance, and business issues such as business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us live, you can listen to us after on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast carrier. Now, on this session, you can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that you can learn from, stories that can motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be the key to your success. I also invite you to contact me. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or connect with me on my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net. And I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to hear what kind of subjects you'd like to hear on our show. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business or international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now, on to today's show. I mean, everybody is talking about the new normal. And honestly, if I hear this phase one more time, I'm going to scream. But with all the challenges that we face today, there are also opportunities. And one of those opportunities is in tech. There's a flood of changes and new trends that we are seeing in tech. Software development has become more integral to every part of our business and personal lives. So developments and changes in software development are having a great impact on us every day. Now, while we can't always predict what lies ahead for tech, there are some trends that we are seeing and some trends we expect to see in the future. I mean, for example, deep learning, a subset of machine learning, blockchain, and much more are some of the things we are seeing. But it's not only what we are seeing, it is also about where it is happening. 
regardless if it's in a geographical region or an industry sector, things are developing all over the place. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk to an expert in software development. And our guest today is Ian Reynolds, and he is the partner and chief solutions architect at ZibTech, a software development consultancy focused on helping businesses Build custom software. ZipTech helps growth companies, enterprises, and visionary firms solve their core business subjects with agile software development. ZipTech's mission is to focus value creation on the client's core business objectives. Now, Ian began his career working in the world of startups in the arena of healthcare, business consumer software applications, e-commerce loyalty rewards, and software aimed at reducing the cost of digital charitable giving. He has worked as a consultant in the energy industry, where he interacted with virtually every industry vertical, including upstream, midstream, downstream, oil field services, commodities, retail power, and beyond. In his capacity as he worked in this field, he executed over 15 billion in transactions spanning M&A, restructuring, and advisory. Now, outside of energy, Ian has served clients in numerous roles, providing custom software development process and performance improvement. And he's currently operating his business between Salt Lake City and Houston and periodically in India. Um, but, and Ian, we're glad to have you. And I also a little bit of information here, Ian, on you. Um, you're a true blood Texan, huh? Yeah, very much so. Uh, it's, uh, it's the best state. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to the show and thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Hey, it's great um, to hear. Yeah. So let me, let me just start with something very basic. I mean, um, you know, our lives ha- have really changed from in-person to virtual in the last um, couple of months with the pandemic. And I don't really want to talk about the pandemic per se, but I'd like to talk about has this changed companies' views on software development? Yeah, I think I think the reality has been that a variety of companies have to very quickly adapt to the tools that are available that they have sort of put off for a very long period of time, right? So you, you see this rapid need to have folks be remote. You have, a, you have a need for folks to be much more connected than they otherwise have been. So you actually, you're actually seeing companies that, you know, have been otherwise sort of unsophisticated in terms, in terms of their adoption, really kind of aggressively reaching out to consultants and groups to, hey, help me solve this problem. Help me, help me, help me have my team be as productive as they were, or at least as maximally productive as I can get them uh, while being remote. And then you have, on the other side, companies that were already sort of generally sort of uh, location flexible uh, using these technologies. They're saying, well, how can we be more efficient with our time? Um, and I think we're going to see more of that, right? Um, the, the world is increasingly flat, and uh, you know you can order steel on, uh, from China on your iPhone, and uh, it's just it's just the way that things are now. And I think people, are, a lot of people, are coming to the realization that, yeah, it, you know, I can have I can have people in a variety of locations still perform their same functions. Mm-hmm. And and when we look at when we look at industry sectors for a minute, um, you know what from from your point of view, what 
industry sectors or uh, might have been less prepared and they were kind of thrown into this um, a little more unsophisticated as, as sophisticated and had to go into rapid change when it comes to technology. Yeah, I, you know, it's really been the, the sort of in-person training companies, these education companies and situations and structures where folks are coordinating large groups. So we, we have a number of clients actually in the, uh, the sort of event management space. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've recognized that they're still able to host their events. They're still able to facilitate the type of communication they were uh, doing previously. I'll give you one example. So we, we help a company that's in the event space, and they facilitate uh, uh, meetings with doctors that are getting together to discuss uh, studies as it relates to a new drug or a new pharmaceutical that's coming to market. And they used to co-locate all of those physicians in a single location. They'd pick a location, you know, prepare, basically people had rooms, people had meals, all of that sort of uh, song and dance. And then also they're trying to raise money for additional research uh, for the funding of, uh, in some cases, these very rare, very rare uh, diseases that they're trying to treat. Well, uh, you know, in recent times, they've, they've switched to coordinating all of this stuff online. And the result is more people have come to the meetings and they have been able to raise more money because they have had much more attention in terms of, uh, uh, you know, people's, people's time. So um, there, this sort of transition to, hey, you know, I have these other tools. I've never really used them as part of my normal process. Folks are finding that, you know, when things go back to normal, I'm going to be able to use a, a mix of these tools and actually probably get a better outcome, save money and uh, have a better output as well. Yeah, maybe be more efficient. And um, yeah, I didn't even think about the um, event uh, event space at all. Um, so just to, to continue on with that, what about um, SMEs? Because you talk about the event space. Um, you know, what about SMEs, like small businesses? I mean, they've been kind of thrown this and they're usually not so tech savvy. What are you seeing happening there? Yeah, I think... What you're what you're seeing is uh, you know sort of the same effect of um, hey here, here's a technology that uh, you know I, I sort of have put off adopting because maybe there's just an added incremental cost it's not something I understand let's say CRM right uh, yeah. CRM or sales automation and and still even though you know you hear the word Salesforce you hear HubSpot you hear these big names uh, most companies in the U S are, are still not on a CRM uh, they're mm-hmm. they're using they're using spreadsheets. And they're recognizing, you know, wow, those those customer relationships uh, uh, are, are super important. I need to be following up and understanding how folks are doing uh, on their side of the business, how my how my vendors are doing uh, with uh, the, the impacts of what's going on. And so they're finding that the adoption of technologies that have been around are increasingly important, and they're stepping into, um, you know, just kind of do what everyone else uh, who, who's ahead of them is already doing. And they're finding that oh, this is eminently practical. Why didn't I do this before? Yeah. Okay. And and how do you think, I mean, how are they getting along? I mean, you're, you're working with some big companies such as, such as event space, but what about these little guys? Um, you know, um, <laughs> what do they do? The little guys are really kind of switching staff. That's what we're seeing. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, I would say, 20 to 30, it, it sort of varies. 20 to 30 percent of our clients are in, uh, let's let's call it a startup arena, right? It's either an existing company that is building out a product or service within a broader service line, or it is somebody who has an idea and they want to sort of start something from scratch. And um, 
you know, or other companies that are say under five, five or so million revenue within that 20% mm-hmm. category. And the approach that they're taking is I have resources that have been very good traditionally at fulfilling a function. What mm-hmm. I need to do is I need to figure out how I can either get someone with that skill set who's able to do it remotely or, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, transact with another business, outsource it uh, to another company that has an expertise that would be able to execute uh, really without much interaction from me. So we're, we're finding um, businesses are actually seeking more services, uh, both both on the IT and sort of technical side, uh, to remove burdens to them focusing very, very intently on sort of their sales and marketing efforts. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what about what about Ian in the startup startup arena? I mean, um, you know, you're you're in software development. Um, are you you know has the startup arena excelled, or is it kind of in kind of a, a stalemate right now since the last couple months? What are you seeing there? Outside of the industries that I've mentioned being impacted, we haven't seen any real decline in the number of folks who are seeking to bring things you know, to market or new ideas to market. It really seems that, you know, kind of like the human spirit is all enduring and uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's really, that's really not going to change. And it really hasn't changed as a sort of a statistical measure of the, the new clients that we've seen in that space. And uh, so that's really interesting, right? You know, the people should otherwise be yeah. kind of a little bit afraid, you know, willing to hold a little more cash, um, not as aggressive, but uh, yeah, it really, it really hasn't changed at all for our business. Well, that, that's great. And then, I mean, I've actually seen, you know, um, with the small businesses or medium-sized business thrown up against the wall with this, they're coming up with innovations and great ideas. And and normally they need some technology to support that. Are you seeing, like, new ide- people with new ideas coming to you? Yeah, well, actually, I'd say probably we're seeing more folks who maybe have an existing way of doing business and they're like, you know, I, I've got to pivot. I've got to make a change. Mm-hmm. I think I can do this small technical thing differently. You know, can you help me implement this? And let's let's just you know, the, basically the approach they they have come to us with is let's just give us a let's just give this a shot. You know, yeah. what, what's the worst that can happen? You know, at this stage, and yeah. by and large, they've actually been very successful. And so mm-hmm. um, that's that's the type of innovation that we're seeing, which is companies that need to be nimble. They need to bring forward an idea that is going to maybe not substantially change their business, but alter it in a, a slight, slight way uh, mm-hmm. where they're still providing the same services. Okay, great. Well, um, Ian, we're going to take a short break now. And I mean, this is really interesting to hear what you're seeing in the market. And um, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about global trends, you know, um, you know, not, uh, not only what you see is being developed, but also where it's being developed. And for our listeners, we are speaking today with Ian Reynolds, and he's the partner and chief solutions architect at ZibTech, a software development consultancy company focused on helping business build custom software. ZipTech helps growth companies, enterprises, and visionary firms solve their core business objectives with agile software development. ZipTech's mission is to focus on value creation on the client's core business objectives. And if you'd like to reach out to ZipTech and Ian, you can reach out to them on www.zibtech.com and you can reach Ian through that website. You can also reach out to Zibtech on linkedin.com under Zibtech and on Facebook under Zibtech and on Twitter 
under ZipTech, and you can reach out to Leon, Ian on LinkedIn also. And if you have questions and comments, you can contact me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now, this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda Virtual. Cinda is one of Europe's fastest-growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Cinda holds digital conferences in Europe, and the Cinda Virtual is available 24 hours a day under www.cinda.org, where you can listen to webinars, podcasts, and get training sessions. So please go to www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. It is possible to have the career you want. Those who know how to manage their careers advance more quickly and have more opportunities. Listen for Career Central with host Lorraine Beeman to discover how to be successful in your current job or move into a new one. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. 
Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And today we are talking about software development and what's going on in the world around software. And we're talking with Ian Reynolds, and he's the partner and chief solutions architect at ZibTech, a software development consultancy focused on helping business build custom software. Now, Ian, we kind of just talked about um, you know, we had to get this out of the way because everybody's talking about what's happened in the last couple of months, okay? Um, so we kind of talked about what you were seeing in the landscape. And, and I'd like to, to, to get down a little bit and, and talk about um, global trends in software. So are there any specific global trends that you are seeing um, in software? There are. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks think of the U.S. as sort of the the innovation hub, you know, you think Silicon Valley and and uh, the like, but the reality is that let's just let's just talk about India, for example, right? India is you know four times the population, about a third of the landmass of the United States. Well, the number of companies getting started in India is disproportionate to the number of companies getting started in the United States. You know, you have a tremendous number of folks coming out of school with engineering degrees. And uh, so we just talk about Bangalore is kind of like the Silicon Valley of, of India. We, we actually have an office there um, and we're, we're tapping into much of that innovation. And you're seeing a couple things occur. You're seeing very large companies go to these markets to get uh, engineering resources. But more importantly, you're seeing um, those areas, not just basically domesticating um, uh, tools that have sort of already existed in uh, major industrialized markets, right? They're not just, they're not just copying things. They're not just taking something that already exists and uh, sort of introducing it to the market, which is which is happening and is is a is a big and valid market. They're they're materially innovating in a way that we can't innovate here because we don't have enough engineers being produced domestically. And so that's occurring in the U.S. That's occurring in China. That's occurring in parts of Europe, uh, less so. But um, and it's also increasingly. Uh, happening in uh, East and West Africa. So um, these these kind of like other parts of the world in many respects are sort of coming online. So it's not going to be surprising if you hear about a you know new brand name that is going to be coming from one of these uh, third world countries that is going to pretty quickly be a superpower. Mm-hmm. And, and let me ask you, why do you think, um, I'm sitting in Europe, but let, let's start with this, the United States. I mean, why... Do you think um, the U.S. can't produce the engineers? Is, is this interest or is it because the schooling? And I can I know very much that it, it's very expensive to go to university in the United States as compared to Europe. Um, what do you think is holding this back? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a variety of reasons, right? So the number one, uh, you know, sort of graduation major is, is English majors, Right, coming to school, and that's not terrible. That's not terrible, right? So, as Americans, we're we're sort of taught to be independent from a very young age. Just ask my kids, uh, and uh, it, uh, it it's it's kind of within this the, the sort of American spirit. I, I think there's a misconception between what is required of sort of a sort of mechanical, structural, civil engineer versus a software engineer. Software engineering is, in many respects, not in all respects, uh, somewhat of a skill. Right, we have hired mm-hmm. folks who have come out of school with no engineering background 
And they have not only been able to learn what is required to be an engineer, they have been able to lead teams within a very short period of time uh, and, and deploy very large projects, right? So uh, it, it, it is something that you can learn as a formal discipline in school, but the reality is that it is a skill just like anything else. And so um, we, we tend to look at the credential, I think, in the United States still more than we really should in terms of training people and, and investing in folks. Um, and uh, I, I don't find that to be helpful. We, we've hired we've hired folks who just really have no engineering background, but have expressed deep interest and in a, in a willingness to learn. There really should be a focus not on, I say, I think academic success so much as somebody's willingness and, and ability to learn. You should measure their ability to learn. Mm-hmm. And and I mean that sounds really good. And and I I wish we could get to that. Um, and the Europe also is very very you know, strict on what's that degree coming out of the university and kind of putting you in boxes. Um, but even with that said, how how do you get more people looking at engineering in for universities? And, um, um, you know, how can you make sure they understand the difference between the software engineering? Should they start, should we start educating them in the second and third grade and fourth grade or how can we just kind of change that stigma? Yeah, I think I think uh, the way to change the stigma is uh, you know sort of more work study programs. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of very valuable tasks that can be executed uh, by you know non-engineers who are sort of kind of quickly coming up to speed uh, in in sort of internships. It's it's pretty easy to get get an engineer up to speed, at least pr- being somewhat productive uh, in, in a short period of months. And so I expect to see more of that. I, I think too. Um, Really, the the salaries, the the opportunity for advancement, uh, the sort of stability and demand for the career is not something that's really widely promulgated. Um, there's there's even during this downturn, there's a wild demand for uh, engineering talent uh, because uh, it's especially in the U.S. It's rare. It's it's there's mm-hmm. not uh, there's not enough of it. And so I think if you're able to sort of dangle, look, these are real salaries, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, these are these are very very good jobs. Um, uh, and, and present that to people. Present that to young people. Um, they're gonna they're gonna adjust their alternatives. You know, like here's here's what you can make and what you're gonna be doing with an English degree, which isn't a bad <laughs> isn't yes, a bad yeah. you know career yeah, path. But- um, and I say that as lovingly as a, as a as a husband of a wife who is an English major. But yeah. um, you know, and uh, you um, also have look here's here's an engineering degree. You don't need a master. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a master's. Mm-hmm. You just need sort of four years, and maybe two of those years are actually writing a little bit of code, uh, because most of what you're going to learn is going to be on the job anyway. Mm-hmm. And what made you go into engineering? Were you always into code or into that, or was it kind of a mistake? How did you end up there? No. So you know, my my thinking has much been more much more in line with sort of uh, Adam Smith in the sense that look, if you look at uh, the world broadly, people are becoming more specialized. And mm-hmm. if you look at specialization in terms of the value that you can produce for other people, uh, being specialized in, in a technology or being specialized in a given field that is uh, itself becoming more specialized is only going to present more opportunity. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just saw it as, uh, you know, the software is eating the world, so to speak. And uh, it, it is going to be really eminently practical to uh, ride that wave. 
Yeah. And, and just one more question on, on um, trying to get people into software engineering. You're a father of three daughters, okay? Um, how, how are you, you know, I, I mean, the numbers are increasing in women in, in coding and software engineer, but they're, they're not where they should be. Is there anything specifically we can do to get girls started and get more women into um, software engineering? Yeah, yeah, I think I think um, you know. There's of course that that whole debate. There's lifestyle elements that that go into yeah. that. But I think actually what should be presented is, um, you know, it, it is it's it's a parallel to uh, sort of English degrees. It, it has all the elements required to be creative and um, to really um, add value to someone's life. It can also be uh, a, a really really fulfilling track where you have the same opportunities as anybody else. And the only thing that matters in, uh, and I'll tell you a brief story about a young woman that we hired, but the only thing that matters in engineering is, is really output and uh, the, the, the output that you can produce. So we had, a, we had a young girl that joined us maybe one or two years out of college. And um, she was with a cohort of interns. We run people through like a six, eight month training program before they're really sort of client facing. And, uh, by, I don't know, sort of like month three or four, this lady was leading a team of 17 people, right? Two wow. years out of college. And mm-hmm. so um, it, in this field, folks are very, very, very interested in being meritocratic because there's such a, there's such a scarcity of resources that you really can't afford not to be. And so mm-hmm. we have always told our employees, look, we don't care what your background is. We just care about output. And we care about what you can produce. And if you're a leader, it's going to be reflected. And time after time, year after year, we always have somebody who is extremely young, able to climb the ranks really, really aggressively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, unfortunately, they get they get stolen by companies like IBM and, and mm-hmm. what have you. But Goldman Sachs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we, we we it's hard to 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 be you know compete with those big ones though. So, anyways. That's right. Um, yeah, so when you're talking about this and talking about, you know, hubs like India and innovation, um, what kind of software programs um, do you think need to be built that, that haven't been yet? Do you have any ideas on that? You know, um, we're, the, the simple answer is we're always looking for people to come to us with ideas that we can sort of uh, apply our, let's say, learned wisdom to. So uh, the hope is that uh, really just kind of by asking that question, somebody's going to come to me with the idea. But I would say, based on the experience and interactions that I've had, healthcare is still very much in the Bronze Age as it relates to software. And give you an example. We interacted with a, uh, a company that does MRI diagnostics, and they were using technology just to sort of move files and uh, get get them to radiologists, et cetera, that was, that was 10 or 20 years old. And um, you know, you kind of think uh, Star Trek when you uh, go to the the hospital. We were just in the hospital with the delivery of the third kid, and um, it, but it really isn't incredibly sophisticated. They're not. We're not collecting and aggregating data in a way that Silicon Valley uh, or Google or these big players uh, have done for uh, the better part of a decade. And we should be doing that in healthcare because if we can look at data. Uh, really, in a really, really sophisticated manner, be it radiology or uh, behavioral health, what have you, um, you know, I think, I think ultimately, 
better outcomes are going to occur and costs are going to come down. And mm-hmm. I, I really don't see enough innovation in healthcare, at least in the on the software side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point, and we can use it right right now. That's for sure. Um, we're going to take a break soon, but I just have one more question because you talk about people coming to you, and you know I've um, been in a few very large companies, and and um, you know tw- fifteen years ago there was always a debate: let's do it in house, especially in companies like telecommunication companies and those guys who were kind of you know monopoly, and 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 now that you know. That doesn't really make that much sense all the time. I mean, um, do you? What is your opinion on on having a company doing it in house or outsourcing it to somebody who's who's an expert such as yourself? Yeah, I would I would say that I think increasingly companies are willing to look for an outside expert uh, to you know basically do a function that they can't do as well as someone else. So. We, we are an engineering firm. Frequently, companies come to us and say, you know, I want to build this product, I want to design it, and then I want to market it. Can you help me do all of the above? And we can say, no, actually, we can't help you with the marketing. We really can only help you with the engineering because that's what we're good at. We have, mm-hmm. we have, we have the team that is, we get, you know, the network engineers, the DevOps engineers, the front-end engineers, the back-end engineers, the QA experts, the, the um, testing experts, the project management but we don't have expertise in mm-hmm. marketing your product because that's a specific industry that you know we may not understand. And so yeah. uh, we're not the guys. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's increasingly important for folks to say what they don't know, what their weaknesses are, and then go find someone who is a valid expert in that thing and then acquire that knowledge uh, where appropriate. So you know, in-house versus uh, external, it's, it's really more about how efficiently can I acquire the knowledge I need to be successful. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. With that, um, Ian, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I, I kind of I want to talk to you about what what you see have been the biggest changes in technology, and and talk a little bit about automation, AI, and and maybe a little bit more about the data that you just referred to, um, because I think that's that's always such a hot topic, um, and a, especially in in Europe and some places in the states, and it kind of fits together with um, AI. So for our listeners, we are talking about software development today and we're talking to Ian Reynolds and he's a partner and chief solutions architect at ZibTech, a software development consultancy focused on developing businesses, build custom software and they help growth companies, enterprises and visionary firms solve their core business objectives with agile software development. And if you'd like to reach out to them, you can go to their website at www.ziptech.com and you can reach Ian through that website. And ZipTech is also clearly on LinkedIn and on Facebook and on Twitter. And Ian Reynolds is also on LinkedIn. So please reach out to them um, for software development. Now, you can contact me, Kimberly Lewis, at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. And connect with me. Tell me what you think of the show and what you want to hear about. Now, this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda Virtual. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest-growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Cinda holds digital conferences in Europe. And Cinda Virtual is available 24 hours a day under www.cinda.org where you can hear 
um, hear panels, hear webinars, get training sessions, and much more. So please look up www.cinda.org. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. It is possible to have the career you want. Those who know how to manage their careers advance more quickly and have more opportunities. Listen for Career Central with host Lorraine Beeman to discover how to be successful in your current job or move into a new one. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about the current trends and the future trends in software development. And we're talking with Ian Reynolds. He's a partner and chief solutions architect at ZipTech, a software development consultancy focused on helping businesses build custom software. And they help growth companies, enterprises, and visionary firms solve their core business objectives objectives with agile software development. So, um, 
Ian, we've had some great talk and, you know, talked about the development of, of software development as a career and an industry and, and trends and outsourcing and insourcing. So I just, I'd like to know what, what in your lifetime, what has been the biggest change that you have seen in technology? I think it's, I think it's actually been the advent of the uh, personal computer mobile phone, right? So this smartphone uh, device. I, th- I think we're still actually at the the uh, the cusp of that sort of starting these sort of smart devices that you basically carry around a supercomputer in your phone. Um, really, I mean, look. When I grew up, uh, I remember you know hooking up to to a green screen and uh, typing on that terminal, and then uh, eventually like you know dial up came, and uh, you. I remember one of the first laptops and these sorts of things. But but ultimately, I think the mobile phone and and having the internet on uh, my device lets me basically do virtually anything I need to do in, in the business world uh, from anywhere in the world. And the, the reason why I think that there's still a tremendous amount of change to occur in that arena is that only a certain percent of the world's population of the 7 billion people has a smart device that they are connected to. Um, that number is growing exponentially and it is something that once we have more people online, so to speak, uh, you know, I, I think the, the amount of innovation that we are going to see is going to be unprecedented and un- unfathomable. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems like we've been kind of, you know, um, propelled into this also, especially in, with the last five, six months and propelled also into, um, you know, when you talk about smart, you know, uh, smart um apparatus then also you know ai okay artificial intelligence okay um you know tracing apps tracking apps um we've been kind of propelled into this ai world and what do you think of ai and the future of ai yeah i think the future of ai is not this big looming scary thing that uh it's often made out to be i think it's actually much more of an incremental uh, a helpful device that, that comes along and uh, drives efficiency. So let's use an example. So on your phone, if you have a smartphone and you're responding to somebody's text, uh, you now in many most most phones get some sort of pre-populated response like "thanks, great, you know, awesome, cool." That is usually context relevant, and you know you think you think, oh yeah, that's pretty novel. It saves me a little bit of time, a little convenient feature. But now consider that there are hundreds of millions of people using their device to do that and send responses that way. Well, that's billions of hours saved in terms of communication time for things that are otherwise, um, you know, just sort of standard form communication. Well, because I have that little efficiency gain, I can get efficiency gains elsewhere. And I think you're going to continue to see AI step into these kind of mundane little pieces of life and provide efficiency gains to allow people um, who can take advantage of them, at least, uh, to be much more efficient in their day-to-day jobs, right? So um, let's talk about sales automation, for example, right? Um, you're, you're seeing an increasing amount of that type of communication work its way into the sales channels. So much of what we do in sort of sales life is just getting that sort of next meeting set up, um, reaching out to customers, keeping track of data, tracking follow-ups, et cetera. And a lot of those mundane things need to really be removed to allow the salesperson uh, or the customer service rep to focus on quality, focus on delivering a better service 
for that in person. And ultimately, I think that's that's a wonderful thing. That's really sort of what mm-hmm. what uh, what business is all about: serving the yeah. other person. Yeah. No, I mean that that's that's correct. And and you know we've seen so much advancement here. And, and um, do you do you think that there'll be certain which industry sectors do you think are going to have the most opportunity when it comes to AI um, as opposed to others? I mean, where is it going to have the biggest impact? Yeah, you know, the, the industry that's getting disrupted the most is going to be, uh, it's going to continue to be retail, I think, for some time. Mm-hmm. But, we talk, but we talked about healthcare previously. And I think, I think it's actually healthcare data. So um, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. So I had a friend who um, got cancer. Uh, he's since recovered. But the only reason he recovered was because data was being shared between a Texas hospital and a hospital in France. And they mm-hmm. were, they had, they had tracked the outcomes of certain types of treatments. And it only happened to be this one hospital in France where they could have, they had the data uh, to share with this hospital uh, in Texas that he was able to get that. Well, you know, imagine if we had enough data points where we could say, you know, much more definitively because of all these other cases, here is something that is treatable with, you know, this procedure, which is much less invasive and has this higher outcome, et cetera. So um, I, I would imagine that at least as it relates to, um, you know, reviewing data, helping doctors make decisions, that AI is going to play a much bigger role than it currently is. Mm-hmm. And when, you, when you're talking about data, um, we went, let, let's turn the clocks back um, two years ago, okay, when uh, Europe... Um, initiated GDPR, and then California came next, and on and on and on, okay? And there was this, there was this huge um, don't share big data, okay, or don't share data, um, and especially not personal data. And now we've gone into a pandemic where it's absolutely, it's kind of shifted because we need that data in order to control this disease. So where do you think... Um, you know, this whole data discussion is going to go to in, in relation to AI and technology. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what you do in terms of creating privacy structures, et cetera, the data is still getting created, right? Mm-hmm. Your The actions you're taking on your phone, on your devices, et cetera, is still sending that information somewhere. Now, maybe it's not personally identifiable. Maybe I don't know, hey, it's Kimberly, Kimberly is looking at XYZ, you know, um, in terms of, uh, you know, her business, but uh, someone somewhere is getting some slice of that data to uh, basically, you know, look at every person's uh, total data set. And uh, I can use really basic statistics, law of large numbers to infer, uh, you know, sort of consumer preferences and these types of things. So no matter what we do, you know, sort of the laws of statistics are going to govern our lives and um, sort of invade our privacy, whether or not we sort of lock these things down. Because every time you interact with a device, data is still moving from A to B uh, and often to, you know, more than 100 parties, say, just on your phone uh, every time you sort of turn it on. So, um, you know, I, I think I think increasingly we're going to see a uh, democratization of uh, that available data 
as um, you know, folks recognize, like you know, we can't stop the transmission of some of this data. Uh, we really just need to make it as available to uh, everyone as we possibly can. Mm. I think um, you know it's interesting if you've seen a, sh- a shift in in the attitude towards that personal data in in the United States. I know in Europe um, when Germany came out with the um, um, tracking and tracing apps, so many people downloaded that they were absolutely surprised on the amount of the population. I can't quote the percentage, but it was a very high percentage that downloaded. And Germany was probably the biggest, hardest privacy. Um, country in within the European Union. So, are you um, among people in the states? Have you seen a shift in in the attitude towards data at all? You know, I, th- I think it's a little fifty fifty in the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're we're pretty well polarized around that issue. I think there's, you know, on both sides, there's there's a side that recognizes, hey, you know, there's there's real privacy concerns here uh, in terms of what data we're, we're we're giving folks, and then on the other side, it's you know. Other folks who have a sort of uh, not necessarily naive willingness, but a willingness to share that inf- information with other other folks, and and I can say that you know speaking of sort of maturity of industries, um, cybersecurity and um, uh, really kind of cyber threats are, are very real. Uh, we we as a company are very intent on making sure that our clients' IP is secure, and, and uh, you know that those IP protections are. Uh, fundamental things to the uh, functioning yeah. e- economy, and uh, and I, and I think uh, individuals are a little bit too, based on our experience, individuals are a little bit too willing to sort of give up data, uh, and they don't quite know that they're they're giving those things up. Um, in some respects, I, I personally wish I could just kind of have a regular, we'll call it a dumb phone, right, uh, instead of a smartphone, <laughs> um, and, and certain things off. But um, so so I, I think that answer hasn't been. Uh, fully fleshed out in terms of what is an appropriate mix of uh, privacy versus security concerns. But I can tell you right now that uh, uh, security isn't being thought of enough uh, in in the uh, technology arena. Yeah, that, that's true. And I, I see that here. So we're getting towards the end of our show. Um, and I'd like to just, you know, coming back to software development, do, do you have, you know, any, you know, uh, t- one or two future trends that you think we're going to see in the next um, in the next year or months? Because I mean, development technology goes so fast; it could be days. Okay, right. Do, right. Any- yeah, yeah. I think I think the the biggest trend is you're actually going to see the software development arena become much more accessible uh, over the next couple of years. So every we say that every four years, an engineer pretty much has to retool, and that's because that. Uh, you know, the the best engineers are actually building frameworks, building scaffolding, building tools, so to speak, to make it easier to construct software in the first place. So I think actually you're going to see it. Uh, the barriers of entry to coming down, uh, the barriers of entry to becoming a programmer come down, and you're going to see a lot more innovation as a result of that uh, because uh, you have these sort of uh, uh, you know kind of lo- called low code apps. Um, are going to increasingly sort of take hold. And, and that doesn't present a challenge for our business because uh, there's there's always layer, layers of complexity that we're going to be able to provide. Um, but that that's one trend. And the second trend I think you're going to see is uh, you're actually going to see the, the cost of things uh, as it relates to all consumer goods, um, all services that are online 
come down uh, sort of continuously and, and precipitously as more of these countries sort of get online and be able to provide more services uh, globally. Okay. And um, last question uh, is, you know, we got a lot of companies listening, um, you know, concerning software development. Um, anything, you know, if I was a new client or I was just coming into you um, and you had to just give me some advice on, on doing software, you know, getting doing software development, what would that be? Just the biggest thing to look out for, the biggest thing to do, anything. Yeah, I think I think the number one piece of advice is, you know, are you actually intentionally innovating your, we, we call it your technology stack? Are you intentionally trying to disrupt what you are doing from a uh, engineering standpoint? Um, because if you're not, your competitors probably are. Look at look at how Google, look at how 3M, look at how the most innovative companies in the world, Apple included, are structuring their business. They're spending intentional dollars on R&D and a large percent of that is software because it's cap- it's so capital light. So the, the question I would ask companies is, are you being very intentional with your spend? And if not, how can you start? And, and we can help, we can help think through that. Okay. Great advice. And uh, Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to take, to talk to us today. And for our listeners, we have been talking to Ian Reynolds, and he's the partner and chief solutions architect at ZibTech, and it's a software development consultancy firm focused on helping businesses build custom software. And they help growth companies, enterprises, visionary companies solve their core business objectives with agile software development. And ZibTech's mission is to focus on value creation on the client's core business objectives. And if you'd like to connect with Ian, um, please go to ZibTech at www.zibtech, and that's Z-I-B-T-E-K dot com. And ZibTech is also on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and on Twitter. So once again, thank you so much for being with us today, Ian. You bet. Thank Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And thank you. And our listeners, please contact me, Kimberly Lewis, at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com and tell me what you want to listen to. Um, This broadcast is also being brought to you by Cinder Virtual, and Cinder is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Go to www.cinder.org for more information. And please remember to tune into us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. specific time. And if you happen to miss a show, then go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and you will find Leadership Beyond Borders there. And with that, thank you for listening this week and tune in again next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.